obviously, uh, this morning, thinking about Thanksgiving, kind of that week before, um, as we think about being thankful, um, I came across a list of a few things that uh, people have said they were thankful for, and I thought these were really insightful. I'd like to start out this morning by sharing a few of those. Um, I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have enough to eat, right? Right? <laughs> Uh, I'm thankful for all the complaining I hear about the government because it means that I have freedom of speech. Thankful for the alarm that goes off early in the early morning of the hours because it means that I'm alive. I'm thankful for the teenager uh, who is not doing dishes but is watching TV because it means that he is home and not on the streets. I'm thankful for paying taxes because it means that I'm employed. I'm, I'm thankful for the lawn that needs mowing the windows that need cleaning, the gutters that need fixing, amen, and cleaning out eight times a year, if you know that is, gutters were given by the devil, um, because it means that I have a home, right? Uh, I'm grateful for weariness at the end of the day because it means I'm capable of working hard, right Tom? Mm-hmm. End of the day. <laughs> That's right. I am grateful for a parking spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because I'm capable of walking and have been blessed with transportation. Think about we are we are all we are all overtly and overly blessed in our life with the things that we have. Right. This morning I want us to 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 focus around this idea of being thankful. Really, if you look at the word there. Uh, and I know that for any of the English majors, uh, Letitia's in the back, so we'll be all right. Uh, that's not how you feel thankful, right? But that's really what the word means, is it's being full of thanks, right? Full of thanks. And Philip Yancey, I love what he says. He says, um, as we look at the world today, he says, it's a terrible thing uh, to be grateful and have no one to thank, to be awed and have no one to worship. And I think... As we enter in this week, and as, as millions and billions of people will gather around tables to celebrate a meal together, to be thankful, right? And, and they offer up a lot of things they're thankful for. So many of them don't know who they need to be thankful to. They don't, they don't have a relationship with the God that gave them everything in which we are so grateful and thankful for. And, and so I want to turn our, our attention this morning to... Uh, a passage in which Paul gives three words of encouragement to a church, um, the church in Thessalonica. So we'll be in 1 Thessalonians this morning. This is a, a very unusual for us to do a standalone, one passage, kind of out of context of everything else. Uh, however, I do feel like this is one of those passages that the Lord just continues to bring to my remembrance. And, and as I'm praying and thinking about things, this is one of those passages. Uh, so we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today. Uh, looking at verses 16 through 18. And let me just say that um, if if you have any interest in memorizing Scripture, which you should, these are great verses to memorize. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like two words. You know, you got three words there, and you got a little bit longer one at the end, right? But you could <laughs> memorize this whole passage very, very easily. Um, and more important than that, though, these are, these are really, really important verses. Um, these are really, really uh, important verses that Paul is, is helping uh, his brothers and sisters there in Thessalonica know how to live and follow Christ in their life. Um, just a little bit of background on on the book of First Thessalonians. By no means uh, we'll go too deep on this, but just to kind of get us on the same place, uh, the church here in Thessalonica. This was uh, this is a church that Paul himself started. Um, we read about that in, in Acts, excuse me Acts seventeen. 
Um, Paul starts the church there. He goes there and he preaches in the synagogues. Um, and he is only there for a very short time because of the persecution. In fact, the persecution is so bad that Paul has to get out of town and they end up uh, arresting another guy uh, who was leading the church there. They end up imprisoning him for a little while uh, because of the perse- persecution. Paul would later send Timothy to the church in Thessalonica uh, to help them. And as the saying goes, when you uh, are preaching Jesus faithfully, you don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble will come looking after you. That was the story here with Paul. But even though he was only there for a short amount of time, Paul writes some of the most affectionate words to this church. I think that's why I like it. It's because, uh, you know, you, you read sometimes like in, in 1 Corinthians and other places where Paul is almost harsh, right? Because of what the churches are doing and the corruption that's happening. Thessalonians, Paul is really writing to encourage and to love on these. Paul had a very, very deep love uh, for this church. Uh, the church today, or this area uh, today is known as Thessaloniki, which is in Greece. Uh, but at the time of the writing, there would be more than 20,000 people living in the city. Romans, Greeks, and Jews, because it was a trade city, it was a port city. And so there were all kinds of people going in and out of this, this city. Uh, Paul is, is writing this letter to address uh, some real issues that are happening within the church. Uh, he's writing to train new believers, to encourage uh, Christians and Christian living, to assure them of their salvation, and, and also to defend his apostolic ministry. So where we find ourselves at today, though, um, in, in verses 16 through 18, uh, these have been called principles for the inner life. Um, one commentator said that these are diamond drops. It's like Paul just drops like three little brilliant nuggets right there for us to hold on to. Uh, this is the very end. If you look at, if you, you know, if you have a paper Bible or if you scroll down on your phone, you'll realize this is the very end of Paul's letter, right? This is Paul's kind of farewell summary as he is wrapping up his letter. And so Paul is, is kind of giving us a summary, but also giving us some of the most important words uh, for this letter. If you guys, you know, when you think about when, when you write a letter, a lot of times the words at the end are the most important, right? They're, they're some of the most important words uh, that you have in the letter. And that's what Paul is, is giving us. And so these, these commands here should be ones that we take very seriously. These should be commands that the Christian church should take notice of. And ultimately, no matter what our life circumstances, these are commands that we should follow, Right? Paul is not writing this in saying, as long as things are great, do these things. But he's saying, no matter what, do these things. And so what I would like us to do this morning, again, a little unusual for what we do, uh, but I want us to read this together um, because it is short and because it is fairly fairly concise. I want us to read it together. So let's, let's start. We'll start in verse 16. The word of the Lord says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time, God, as a, as a church body to gather and to study your word, to gather around these words that you have written so many thousands of years ago, God, but are so true and applicable in our lives today. God, I pray that these wouldn't just be words on a page. God, that these would be encouragements that we would live by. Father, um, I just pray as, as we sang this morning that your spirit, your Holy Spirit would come and be among us and help us 
to divide your word rightly. God, in all that we say and do, God, may you receive the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, um, as we as we start to to look at our passage, I want us to ask a few questions about this idea of thankfulness. Ultimately, Paul lands there. But the first question I want us to ask is why? Why? Right? Why, I believe, is one of the most important questions that we can ask. Right? Why is the question of, of purpose? Right? Why, why should we be thankful, as Paul says? Why should we rejoice? Why should we pray without ceasing? As I thought about the why, I thought about a few why questions in life, right? These are, these are things, I don't know if you ever thought about them, um, but you just kind of ask those questions like, why is it this way, right? Why is it that an electrical outlet, right, uh, is called an outlet when you pl- plug things into it, right? It shouldn't be called an in- inlet into it? I don't know. Um, an inlet, maybe? Um, why, is, why is lemon juice made with artificial lemons, but dishwasher detergent made with real lemons? Have you thought about that? Um, why does the sun lighten our hair, but darken our skin? Right? Good why question. Um, why, why is, I love this one, why is the man who invests our money called a broker? Right? You ever think about that? I don't trust a broker with my money. Um, why is it called minute rice when it takes 15 minutes to cook? All right, that's a good question. Um, why, let's see. Uh, why does someone believe that there are 4 billion stars, but yet when you tell them that uh, some paint is wet, they always want to check it, right? Right? Uh, I don't get that. Why, uh, why is it that when you are, uh, while you're driving and looking for an address, you turn down the volume of your radio? Do you guys do that? Right? Like, let me see where this is. Let me turn the radio. Like, that's going like, to, why do we do that? Um, <laughs> this one's kind of funny. It might get me in trouble, but it's, it's still funny. Uh, why, why, uh, why can't women put on mascara and keep their mouth closed? You ever notice that, Alicia? <laughs> right? Like, what, what is that? Um, why, this was really good. Why is there not mouse-flavored cat food? Right? If cats love mice, why haven't they come out with our... Um, why is it that people say, I slept like a baby when babies wake up every two hours? Amen, mama's in the room. Uh, yeah? Um, okay, this is a little trivia. I don't figure this out. Why does Donald Duck wear a towel when he comes out of the shower, but usually he walks around without pants? <laughs> Anybody know that? Uh, why is there an expiration date on sour cream? All right. Uh, why, is the, why is the third hand on the watch called the second hand? Um, my boys actually asked me this one. This one's good. Why does a round pizza come in a square box? Can you think about that? Yeah. So they're like, Dad, why does it come in a square box? Um, uh, why is there a light in the fridge but not in the freezer? Do you not need to see what's in there? Um, why, why, why do toasters always have settings on them in which they burn your toast to a horrible crisp? If no one wants to eat. Why would you, why would you make a toaster that would do that? Um... All right, last last one. Um, why why do we have water heaters uh, when water doesn't need to be heated? Um, all right, last one. This is the really last one. I think the kids will like this one. Um, why why do your feet smell and your nose run? Who, what, where, when, and how are much easier to answer than 
why. It reminds me of a story I heard about a kindergarten class. They, they went to a local police station, and uh, they were looking up on the wall, and there was all these pictures of these, of these guys and these people um, that were on the most wanted list. And so one of the, the little kindergartners was like, um, uh, excuse me, sir, um, can you tell me uh, who those people are? And they're like, well, yeah, they are the most wanted criminals in the United States. And, and, and the little kindergartner looked puzzled for a minute, and he said, can you tell me, Ben, why you didn't just arrest them when you took their picture? Right? Why is a good question? Right? Why is a good question? Um, why is probably the most asked question in the English language? It's a question of curiosity, right? Um, someone, someone said a child can ask 14 whys in a minute. Mine can ask 40, right? Especially when you get to that two to three-year-old age, right? And everything is why. Why? 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 Why is a good question, though, right? We need to ask the question why. Why is it? That even when it's not easy, we should rejoice always. Why is it that we should pray without ceasing, even when that's hard? Why should we give thanks in everything? And Paul answers it for us at the, at the very end of this passage. Verse 18, the last part, says that, that we should do all of these things, right? Am I in my Bible? There we go. All right. I lost my place for a second. He said, do all of these, right? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The why we do all of these things, why we do all of these hard things that Paul has called us to do is because this is the will of God. This is God's purpose for us in our life. Like, that's the why. That's, that's I believe, the ultimate why to all of life's questions, right? Because this is God's will in our life. You know, when we, when we look at Scripture and we see the phrase God's will, um, there, there, there are typically two types of uh, are two aspects of God's will that, that is being referred to. What we have here is what we would call God's revealed will, right? This is in Scripture where it is clear and said that this is the will of God for you. Do this, do that, do that, right? But then we also know that there's what we would call the concealed will of God, right? And this is more of, in my life, I don't understand why the circumstances happen the way they do. And then some moments, right? Sometimes we get a window into that and God is gracious enough to show us why the things that we do happen, right? God, God is gracious enough to show us why things happen and the reason that we don't, but not always. But what I'm always am, amazed by is that a lot of times we spend so much time focusing on the concealed will of God, these things that we may never figure out why God does what he does and the way he does them, right? And we spend very, very little time on, on, on the places where God has been very clear in how we should live our lives, and that's what we have in our passage today is that the why is, is very clear. We should, we should do these things because that's the will of God. That's God's plan and purpose for us. Twice in this letter, Paul addresses the will of God. First, in, in, ver, in chapter 4, verse 13, he's talking about purity, right? Moral purity within our bodies. And then here in chapter 5, he's talking about continually giving thanksgiving in your spirit. Right? These are two, two aspects of God's plan, God's purpose, God's will for our lives. So now that we know the why, right? the why is because this is, this is what God wants us to do. This is his plan for us. And we can trust it because it's God's plan. right? And we know that his plans and his ways are higher than our ways. We know that his plans are perfect in every single way, and so we can trust it. So what I want us to do now is to take some time and to look at what is God's will then for us? What is this that he's called us to do? 
And the first part of that, um, the first part of that is to rejoice always, right? Verse 16, rejoice always. Here this word rejoice simply translated just means to be glad, to be joyful, to be delighted in something, right? Paul here is, is encouraging the Thessalonians that we should always have a spirit of joy within us. It's interesting here that, that Paul, as he writes, he puts this word in the present tense form of the verb, right? So that means that this is a call for us to continually live in a state of happiness and well-being, right? This is a call for, for followers of Jesus to continually have a spirit of joy within us, right? And this is only possible when we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. It's also interesting that the word here that he uses uh, for, for joy or for rejoice is in the second person plural, okay? And for those of us who aren't English majors, what that means is it should probably be translated, y'all rejoice, right? That's probably a Franklin County good, right? It's not just, it's not just you singular rejoice, but as the church, as I'm writing this to you, we should all have a spirit of joy, right? It's not a command for, for one person or another, but it's a command for all those who are in Christ Jesus that we should rejoice. You see, joy, joy is, a, is a, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting word. It's an interesting phrase when we think about joy, right? Because joy, like who can, what's the difference between joy and happiness? If you had to define the difference, what would you say? Joy doesn't depend on your emotions. Okay, so joy doesn't depend on your emotions. Okay. Or your circumstances. Or your circumstances. Or anything else, right? Joy is an inner peace, an inner contentment, right? We talked a lot about this when we spent time looking at the Beatitudes, right? Jesus said, blessed are, right? That same concept, happy are, joy, right? It's this idea that my, my happiness, my contentment is not based on my circumstances. Mm. And so the same way, we, we should always have that sense of joy within our hearts and within our lives. You know, it's kind of interesting that, you know, for us a lot of times, I'm going to use, I'm going to use phrase, phrases that, we're, that we've used a lot recently. It's really easy for us when we go through peak moments, right? We're just tracking through the life of Elijah. We've been talking a lot about these mountaintop peak moments, right? When everything is, is firing on all cylinders and everything is great, like, I find it's really easy to be joyful in those moments, Right? When you have youth and health and hope and love and riches and the best possible of all possessions, it's really easy, right? You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to be joyful in those moments, right? Mm -hmm. But yet it's quite another situation when times are hard and you're enduring suffering and things are not going and you're in what we've been talking about as valley moments, right? Right? I think that's really when, when rejoicing gets put on display for the world is that even though my circumstances are not great, right, this inner contentment, this inner peace, this inner joy that I have is far exceeding what's happening on the outside, what's happening in the world around me. In the context here, as Paul is writing this letter, Paul is not naive. He knows what's happening to this church as he writes this. And this church is in the midst of experiencing affliction and persecution. Paul knows that, that the people that he's writing to in this letter, right, that they, have, they are suffering cruelly for their faith and that some of them will go to their graves in order to follow Jesus. 
so far in the letter, in, in chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he's talked about the, the tribulation that they've experienced. In chapter 2, verse 14, he's talked about them enduring suffering at the hand of their countrymen, of, those, of their fellow Thessalonians. In chapter 3, uh, verses 2 through 4, he talks about them suffering affliction. Paul is, is not unaware that joy doesn't just happen because I'm going through positive or good circumstances, but joy is found no matter what circumstances I'm going through. And so that's why Paul can say things like rejoice always, right? No matter what I'm going through, no matter whether, whether or not I like what's happening, right? And for the Thessalonians, right, the, the source of this joy, right, was the gospel. It was the good news, right? That dominated everything in their life and in their experience, right? For many of them, that's all they had left was the gospel, and so that's where they found their deep sense of joy. And I just wonder sometimes, like, today in our, in our world, in our culture, in our churches especially, if we've lost that sense of joy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to me, it makes sense that when we gather together with, with the body of Christ as the church, like, we should put that joy on display in ways that, that are unexplainable. Right, mm-hmm. but yet I've been in many church gatherings where there's just not a sense of joy. Mm-hmm. Dead, it's empty. It's like people just kind of file in and do their thing. And I'm, I'm very grateful that that that's not what what happens here at Bedrock. Um, in fact, I was telling um, somebody the other day my my favorite moment on a Sunday morning, my favorite moment hands down is always like the the five minutes before we get started. Um, which usually extends another five minutes or ten minutes, right? Because there's just this joy of seeing brothers and sisters in Christ gathering and talking and caring for one another and loving one another, or, or even after the service is over and we're tearing down chairs and then we're all just hanging out for, for 30 minutes or an hour afterwards just, just experiencing life together and that joy that happens, right? Because why? It's not because we like each other necessarily at all times. I mean, hopefully we do, right? But, but let's just be honest. Like, there are going to be times in life that we're going to say things that we don't like, that somebody else doesn't like. We're going to hurt each other's feelings because we're human, right? What is it that keeps us together? What is it that, we're, that we keep coming back together? It's because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That's what unites us. And that's what should call our hearts to rejoice always. But, but here is not the only place that Paul talks about us experiencing joy in the midst of, of hard times, right? Um, Acts chapter 5, uh, verses four, uh, verse 41, uh, this is after Peter and, and John, I believe, had, had just been uh, brought in by the, the council, right? And it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Right? They were rejoicing that they had been found worthy in order to be persecuted, right? Joy doesn't come just from our circumstances. Or think about, this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are you, right? Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, he tells us, right? Be glad. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. They also persecuted the prophets who were before you. Mm-hmm. Whereas Paul is writing in Philippians 4 4. Does anybody remember where Paul's at when he's writing Philippians? Jail. He's in jail, right? 
And I'm not talking like super deluxe jail. I heard this thing this week that they're getting ready to, in New York, they're going to build this luxury uh, multi-level jail. Uh, they're getting rid of Rikers Island, and they're going to do this like non-billion dollar jail thing that's supposed to be like that's not where paul's at right he's in the dingy prison he is chained to a guard right things are not going well he's right he even writes in there uh, for them to bring his coat because it's cold um he has very little but what does he say as he writes to the philippians rejoice in the lord always and again don't forget this i say rejoice and so how do we do that right that's the question is How do we have this joy in our life, right? And I think what we realize is that this joy only comes through the Spirit, right? It only comes through the Holy Spirit living in our life. Paul writes in Galatians 5, 22, he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? These are spiritual things. And what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, right? It's a work of the Spirit. These are not things that we can just conjure up on our own. If we don't have the Spirit of Christ, if we don't have the Holy Spirit living within us, I guarantee you we're not going to live this way, right? This is not what the world says. The world does not say when you are suffering and going through hard times, rejoice. It's, the world says, oh, poor you, right? We should feel bad for you, and, and you should feel bad for yourself, and we should help you out, right? And there are times we need to do that for people, Right? But the Holy Spirit says, even in the midst of that, rejoice because you have Christ in you. Paul says in in Romans chapter five, uh, Romans chapter eight, verse five. We studied this a while back. But he says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Right? Their minds are just like the rest of the world, their fleshly desires. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And I think that's the, the key right there. When we're going through hard times and when, when, when situations, or even just the mundane part of life where we just feel like being like, blah. You guys ever been there? Like life is just blah. I'm just, like, it's not super high, it's not super low, it's just kind of, uh, right? But even in the, uh, right? We still need to rejoice, right? And that's, and that's part of setting our minds on the Spirit. As we set our minds on the Spirit, Right? Our heart will follow suit. Paul knew this personally, right? He didn't just say that we need to have this blind optimism like, hey, everything's going to work out, right? But this is a work of the Spirit, which is why like in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, he can say, as sorrowful, right? This is Paul writing, yet always rejoicing, right? That was a testimony he was given of his life. Even though I'm sorrowful and, and things are hard, yet I can always rejoice. Rejoice. Here's what I want us to do. Um, I want us to take just a couple of minutes, um, and I want us to discuss this idea of joy, right? And what I want us to discuss is this. I want us to say, what have you found in those moments when life is hard and tough? Like, practically, what have you done that has helped you be able to find joy even in the midst of those hard times? So Paul moves on with his second... With this second encouragement here of not only um, rejoice always, but the second one, uh, to me, I almost find to be even even more of a challenging task. Um, and I think this is, I don't know, I've talked to a lot of different people, um, and and pray prayer um, for a lot of us is it's it's challenging, right? And we see what Paul says here. He doesn't just say pray, but he says pray without ceasing. Right? Pray without ceasing, this unending 
sense of prayer. Um, it's interesting here when you when you go back and look at the Greek um, language here that that Paul wrote this in. The word "without ceasing," the the the, the verb there "without ceasing" actually comes uh, comes first in 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 uh, in the sentence, and so really, it's the emphasis here is on the "without ceasing" part, right? Is on the time element of prayer. I think um, you know we all when I say prayer, I think we all probably have a very general understanding of what it means to pray, right? Communication with God, time spent with the Father, uh, and communication with God. But unceasing prayer, what does that mean? I think that's the part that um, maybe maybe seems intimidating or seems overwhelming or, or just like, what is that? What are you talking about, Paul? I think about if you've ever had an unceasing cough. You guys ever had that where it's like, man, you can try to drink water, you can try to chug down a bottle of NyQuil, and it just keeps like, right? I heard one commentator, thank you for the example, Mom. We staged that perfectly for, for this moment. Um what one commentator said, it's it's like when when the spirit knocks uh, on your heart, when the spirit tickles you, right, lays a burden on you, then then your reflex reaction should be to go and to pray, right? It's this idea of of praying without. I love I love I love the translation. One translation says, "Pray without intermission." It's that there's no time in your life, in your day, that you're not in communication with God, in communion with God. Now, Paul certainly doesn't mean here that we need to be on our hands and knees 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Uh, in that sense, in a very, in a very literal phys- physical sense, right? Because that's, that wouldn't even be possible. But yet, I think what Paul means is that we need to get on our knees and we need to pray and then we need to live in that expectation of that prayer for the next 24 hours, mm-hmm. right? It's like in between that there's not this gap where we just cut ourselves off from God, but yet in between our prayers, we need to continue to be in that spirit of prayer and that mindset of prayer. Uh, one person said it this way, you don't have to be on your knees moving your lips to pray. Prayer, prayer can be the atmosphere in which you exist. You can bring the Lord to bear on every aspect of your day by staying in touch with Him, communing with Him in your spirit. Prayer is an expression of your dependence on Christ. Right? It reminds me of, of in John 15, verse 5, where, where Jesus, these are, these are some of His last words before He goes to the cross, right? Um, and, and so they're really, really important. And He says this, and we're all familiar with this passage, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. That word abides there means to just just to be rooted in, to stay in. And I think that's really the idea that, that Paul is trying to get across here. For those of us that are following Jesus and, and want to live like him, like we, we gotta stay connected to him throughout the day. It's it's not enough to think about him in the morning and then forget about him again until we go to bed at night. Or maybe maybe if we're doing really good, we think about him right before we eat three times a day, right? That's 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 not what it means to abide. It means that everything that we do, every thought, emotion, should be run through the lens of Jesus. You know, um, it's it's like the the old the old bracelets that used to be the used to say WWJD. You know, it's it's like in every moment I'm thinking about how Jesus would want me to live my life in this moment. Um, and so practically, right? We we need to cultivate a mindset and a heart and a culture of prayer where prayer is a regular part of the rhythm of our life. 
not just something we do when we think about it, right? And this is where I think that the idea of like spiritual formation, are you guys familiar with that term? Spiritual formation, spiritual practices, like where you, where you actually put some of these uh, practices and these formations into your life. Um, and so maybe it's, it's like a, a practice that, you know, three times do it throughout the day that I'm going to set aside time for prayer, right? And it's not that we make these practices or these formations, um, we don't turn them into some sort of legalism when we base our faith on them, right? But these are things to help us to grow in our faith. And so if we struggle in regularly praying with God, we're going to set aside moments throughout our day that we're going to be consciously aware of that. Right, and, and and the more we do that, the more we start to grow in our faith and our prayers. Can uh, I? Can I share yeah, that now? yeah. Please, please go ahead. I was just saying in our group earlier that my church in Tennessee had a conference on prayer mm-hmm. like a month ago, and so I'm listening to those sermons. And an analogy that has just helped me so much is that your your conversation with God throughout the day can be like kind of texting throughout the day. Sure. And then make sure you have at least one like FaceTime. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So like you're you're texting as you're going throughout your day. Yeah. I'm just throwing up a few things. Here's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Get that communal connection. That that time in there. Yeah. I really really like that. Um, Yeah. That reminds me. um, There's a story uh, for a lot of you guys know um, who John Wesley um, was. One of the famous uh, 18th century evangelist and Christian leaders. His mom, his mother, was a lady named Susanna Wesley, and she had 19 children. Right there was a cause for prayer, right? (laughs) 19 children, right? But what we know about her from her life um, is that when she wanted to pray and meditate, she would sit in her rocking chair and she would cover her face with her apron, right? And her children were trained to, to respect these times of quietness and fellowship with God. Mm. I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, maybe I need to get like a blanket or something. <laughs> you know, like daddy, daddy's in prayer time right now, right? Or something, which I know wouldn't work for me because I would probably like fall asleep or something. That would be great, right? But I think there's something to be said, though, even as parents, like for our, for our children to see us faithfully on our knees before God, right? It's one thing for us to tell our kids that we need to pray. It's another thing for them to see that that's a regular part of our life. And this idea of just of, of praying without ceasing is really that I'm bringing Jesus into every aspect of my life. So here's what I want us to do for, for just a minute. Okay, I want you to imagine with me that you are going for a walk somewhere. Okay, Wherever you want to. In my mind, that's going like hiking on a mountain because to me, like... There's nothing greater, right? I know there's several of us in the room that's at that place. Some of you, maybe it's like you're walking in the mall. I don't know. Um, that may be your happy place. I'm definitely not for me, right? But I, I love going hiking uh, whenever that happens, which doesn't happen very much these days. Uh, but I love hiking on a mountain, right? And so what I want us to do is, <clears throat> is just to picture that we're on a hike with Jesus, right? And you're walking down the road together. And there are moments as you're walking that you're totally engrossed in deep, theological discussions, right? So much so that you don't even hardly even notice the surroundings around you because you're just so engrossed in that conversation. But yeah, there's other times that you're just walking along, commenting on the landscape as you pass by. And then suddenly a rattlesnake slithers out in your path and you nearly are screaming at Jesus to save you in that moment. Amen, mom? Amen. That's right. Um, and then there are those moments, right, when you're standing together, you're on the top of that mountain, you're, you're looking at the sunset, and, and there are no words 
that are needed. No comments, but just real communication. Right? I think that's, think that's a little bit of what Paul's trying to get at here, is that there are going to be moments in our life that man, sometimes we are so engrossed in just talking about who God is and how great He is and just repeating that back to Him and, and just praying Scripture back to Him. But then there's going to be other moments that man, we're just talking, we're letting our loving Abba Father know about what's happening in our life, and we're commenting as, as things are happening and we see that. And there are going to be moments of crisis when we're screaming out to God to save us and to rescue us. We see all of that in Scripture. And then there's going to be moments where we just stand in his presence. And that's enough. You know, I think it's a mark of a true, deep relationship when you can just be in somebody's presence and not have to say a word. I think when we don't know people very well, there's that awkward push for us to always have the conversation going. But when you're in that intimate personal relationship with sometimes people sometimes sometimes you don't even need to say words you can just be in their presence and that's enough and that should be moments in our prayer time with God where we don't even need to say words we're just in his presence and we're just experiencing him Hmm. Augustine said it this way he says for your desire for God is your prayer and your desire is without ceasing thus your prayer will be without ceasing right if our heart and desire is for God, then, then then naturally our prayer life, we're going to want to spend time with Him. And the more we desire Him, the more our heart is going to want to long to spend time with Him. Mm. But then there's also those moments, and, and I, I feel like we've probably all been there. When you sit down to pray, you set that time aside, you're, you're, you want to get in the presence, and you sit there and it's just not clicking. You ever been there? It's like your mind's going in a million different places and you can't just focus in, you can't bring it in and as much as you want to. And I, I guess I just want to say this morning, like, it's okay. I'm grateful to be in that moment sometimes because at least we're trying to be in that moment with him, right? Um, but I heard John Piper was was preaching on, on this passage of Pray Without Ceasing and, and he draw he was part of his, his message, he was drawing attention to Psalm 119, verse 36. Uh, where David is writing, and he says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And he said, you know, there's sometimes in our in our prayer lives where we just need to cry out and ask God to incline our hearts, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think God appreciates, I think God wants that honest conversation in those moments where we say, you know what, God, I, I just, I don't feel it right now. Would you incline my heart? Would you change something in my heart so that we can commune in the way that we need to, Right? And so Paul calls us to rejoice always, to, to pray without ceasing, right? And then third, we need to, to give thanks in everything, right? Ultimately, we need to give thanks in everything. That's the, the main point. This is what this is kind of building up to is that when we, when we are always rejoicing, we're praying without ceasing, we're going to become thankful people, right? We're going to give thanks in everything, <laughs> Think about scripture is is full of places that um, calls us to give thanks. Um, Job chapter one verse uh, verse twenty one through twenty two right. Job acknowledges right there are moments that 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 life is tough and it would be easy for me to to not give thanks. But but Job acknowledges he says naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
and all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Right? Job acknowledged that that even when things don't turn out the way, like who am I to to not be thankful, right? Because ultimately everything, whether it's given or taken away, it's from the Lord. Or in Hebrews 13, verse 15, where it says, Through him, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I love the, I love the phrase there, this, a sacrifice of praise to God. Because sometimes there are moments that offering up thankfulness to God is a sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my pride. I'm sacrificing my selfishness. I'm sacrificing how I want that situation to go in order to be thankful for what God is doing. It's interesting here that Paul says uh, to be thankful, give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't put a limit on it, right? He doesn't say just be thankful when things turn out the way you want them to turn out, but be thankful in, in all things. In Philippians 2, 14 through 16, Paul addresses the opposite of this, right? The, the, the opposite side of thankfulness is grumbling and complaining or disputing. Mm-hmm. It says in verse 14, Do all, all this, all things, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. And he goes on to talk about what the world looks like, right? Um, but that idea of grumbling and complaining, this is a verse we use with our kids all the time, right? It's like, don't grumble and complain. And as many times as I use it with our kids, I feel like I need to use it that many times in my life too, mm-hmm. right? Because the opposite of thanksgiving and, and being grateful and giving thanks to God is grumbling and complaining. And how many times do we do that, right? We say, how's life going? Well, could be better. Mm-hmm. Could have more money. The government's just taking all my money, mm-hmm. you know? Um, man, like that new car. Well, yeah, but I got this car payment that I got to pay for. You know, like it's, it's so easy for us to turn everything that we should be grateful for into something to grumble and complain about. Mm-hmm. Also, Thanksgiving is when we are thankful and, and we have thanks in our heart. It's also a great solution for worry and for sin in our life. Again, in Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known to God. Mm-hmm. Right? When we worry, when we struggle thankfulness is the opposite of that. It's a great remedy for the heart that's worried. It's also a great remedy for, for a sinful heart when we struggle with things, right? It says uh, in Ephesians 5, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or no foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead of all this garbage, right, instead of all the sin, these things that we shouldn't be focused on, instead let there be thanksgiving. Right? Really hard for us to allow the filth and all this sin in our life when we're continually offering up a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Right? So Paul says, let us, let us be thankful. And Paul doesn't just tell us this. Paul actually models this with our life. If we just look at some of the letters that Paul writes, some of the, some of the books that he has written, uh, the epistles that he has written, they almost all start with a word of thanks. Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you. 1 Corinthians 1.4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ. Ephesians 1.16. I do not cease giving thanks, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians 1.3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3. We always 
thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Philemon 1.4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Over and over and over again, Paul's life was marked with this idea of thanks. And uh, so think about, think about uh, John Piper said it this way, how can we not be thankful when we owe everything to God? Really simple, but really, really profound, right? How can our lives not be an offering of thanksgiving to God for all that he has given to us? See, my, my hope and my prayer is that this year, this time of year, as we, as we gather around a table in a few days from now, this week, that, it, yes, we need to talk about the things that we're thankful for, but I think more importantly, we also need to remember who we're thankful to. Right, and the way that happens, right? The way we were truly thankful is by what Paul just has laid out in this passage for us. It's interesting when you look at this passage. Thankfulness. One person has has defined thankfulness as joyful prayer with no limits. And if you look at Paul's passage here, what does he say? Verse sixteen: Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Right? Go back. Go back to the slide we were just on. Um, joyful, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Right? And no limits. And that's going to produce a truly thankful heart. Combination of verses 16 and 17 is going to ultimately give us what we see in verse 18, which is thankfulness. Right? And so that's that's my hope. Right? So what I want us to do um, is I want us to get in our groups one more time. Um, and then after this, Tom's going to come up and, and lead us in one more song. Um, but I want us to, to, to gather up and I want us to like have that Thanksgiving discussion. Um, what are we thankful? What are the things in life that we're thankful to God for? What are those things that he has given us in our life that we're truly thankful to him for?